Welcome back to the Earth on Survival Guide, a podcast for novices and masters alike. I am Dan. My co-host is, of course, Josh. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the second half of the longest year ever. <laughs> and on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things Earth Dawn magical, mechanical, non-typical, and probably cyclical as we get into some emails here, another email palooza, half episode probably, and then we'll work on everybody's uh, circling up. We'll try, we'll try to avoid the the twenty minute sidebar. <laughs> no, we enjoy those. No, we, we enjoy we those. We I like enjoy it. those. I like it when Josh I just, rants. Yeah, I, I, it's just I I going back and listening. Better Josh to the than me. I'll tell you that. If I realize that I like expletives. Yeah, I realize <laughs> that I kind of like come back again to get to the same point. So I I like maybe try and <laughs> dial that back a little bit. Ah, it's okay. Again, better you than me, because if I did it, I'll be like expletive laden, and that would not be fun for anyone to listen to. Oh, yeah. When, well, when I, when, I, when I break out the profanity, you know there is absolutely... It's done. It's over. Bing! Josh just hit the limit. Cross the line. We're all good. <laughs> it's okay. So uh, let's just jump into the emails, because time is a-wasting. So we have uh, four or five to get to, and Kagorsi, we're going to save yours for last, so just, just bear with us for the rest of the... Uh, uh, questions coming in so this one comes in from steven who loves the podcast just wondering if you have some tips on converting first edition adventures to fourth he was thinking of running a couple for the old of the old adventures for his group i think we might have covered this we, a little we bit have previously. i think touched on this very freely yeah in in one other episode my general so where you been no i'm kidding it's fine it's a it's a, it's a good question yeah. it always is my general idea is to take a look at stuff that's in the the game master's guide um, that is of like the appropriate challenge rating and choose something that is, you know, roughly equivalent to the critter that you might be replacing. Yeah. And use that and use that's those stats rather than, for example, oh, well, this encounter, you know, like the first encounter in Mists of Betrayal is with in the original, original first edition version of it is a Jehuthra, which in uh, fourth edition stats is a rough novice a party tougher. encounter. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think third edition or classic, like in their reprint, changed it to like a giant spider of some sort. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing that you could potentially do is uh, if you've got the companion is to grab masks um, like the small or uh, there are a couple of size based masks that actually reduce the lower the, the difficulty of, of an opponent. So you could use those as well. Um, I know, yeah. for example, and a lot of this will depend on on what circle group your your group is. Um, but on Morgan's blog, um, he did like an update of the mist from Mist of Betrayal to like play around with some ideas that he has been working on uh, as far as developing um, like boss encounters. Because we've talked in the past about how the creatures in the book aren't really designed to be a single boss encounter for a group mm -hmm. so yeah th i mean those are some things i would i would look at them as sort of plot framework and then using appropriately scaled stat blocks from fourth edition with you know skinned onto whatever creature you think is appropriate yeah and the formula that we mentioned a couple podcasts ago is right in the beginning of the game master's guide right before the monster the creature encounters on the use this formula to use the uh, appropriate legend points or not the legend points sorry the appropriate uh steps 
for what your party can actually yeah, do. Yeah, to, to basically compare the as well. right to compare the uh, difficulty challenge potential, roughly speaking, how easy or difficult the encounter might be based on comparing attack steps to defenses and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So that whole right there in the game master's guide, beautifully done. Best place to find it. So thank you, Stephen. Keep listening. We'll uh, have more for you later on. So a longer email comes in from Matty S., uh, First Circle Game Master, he says, <laughs> um, which he the PS is, feel free to disregard if it's too silly. There is no too silly a question. We will we'll take care of you. Thanks for producing and releasing the podcast. I found it so interesting and entertaining that I have mo- been motivated to start an Earthdawn 4th Edition campaign myself. Yay. Welcome to the fold, Matty. That's awesome. My background story within the game is not long at all, having won my first rule books during the Shadowcasters Network fundraising raffle of 2018. Though he'd been aware of this, uh, oh, this cool. concept for years, but this makes his a minority in the audience. He hadn't been uh, indoctrinated to Earth on like the rest of us have. So the campaign he'll be running, first playing session next week, he's excited, uh, has attracted only two players to the table, an elven cavalryman and a windling illusionist. And he'll be adding an orc weaponsmith as a GM player character. No groans from us, at least. He says maybe from everybody else, but just to bring up the numbers a little mm-hmm. bit. So which brings to the questiononical part of his correspondence. Thank you for the uh, CAL word. Would either of you be so kind as to share some game mastering tips for managing Earth Dawn with a very small party size and not having it end in tears for any involved? That is difficult. Cavalrymen. We talked about the cavalrymen a few episodes ago and without the you know if they're in a situation where they won't have their mount that gets even tougher because they lose a lot of their um ideal tricks having a a support npc as a weaponsmith is is good they can make a a decent sort of support fight fighty character yeah you're just gonna need to be a little bit careful in terms of the 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 opposition that you're gonna be throwing at the group uh, you know that that yeah. with a cavalryman and a weaponsmith and an illusionist, you know your your heavy hitter is the cavalryman. The illusionist has some direct damage potential, but is better suited to buffing. You know, like with monstrous mantle, is sort of the the ideal support spell for the illusionist because it gives enhanced defense ratings and damage bonuses and things like that. So that that's something that you'd be looking at. Yeah, it's just a matter of making sure of making sure that the opposition that you are putting up against them when it comes to combat situations is maybe even being a little bit generous to the characters in terms of like comparing the the balance of of attributes and steps and things like that. And especially you're going to want to be careful yeah. with how many things, how many enemies that they go up against. That's the big problem with any kind of small group is um, overwhelming them with numbers. Yeah, is is overwhelming them with numbers and having a you know an illusionist you know or magician of any kind that doesn't have a really solid front line to get behind can be a little bit tough. So when I ran the one shot for the Critcho folks a, a couple of months back, um, I think I might have mentioned this that we had a troubadour, a weaponsmith an elementalist and a thief a thief okay was the fourth one and so yeah. you know the the thief as we talked about in the thief episode can with the right build have some some you know striker high damage combat capability 
the weaponsmith, if built a certain way, can 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 kind of act as a frontline fighter. But like that's a group where I like they said these are the characters we want to play, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I need to rethink a little bit the opposition that I'm going to be putting against them <laughs> because I need to make the characters that are going to be the the fighters able to do that effectively, but not having a lot of the tricks that swordmasters and warriors and stuff have, and mm-hmm. also just maybe scale back the opposition a little bit so that I'm not necessarily overwhelming them just in terms of the, of the raw numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that, especially if you're a new game master in general, I would always err on the side of giving the characters the benefit of the doubt and giving them uh, a little bit of a, of an edge and, being sort of upfront, and I imagine if they're kind of coming new to it as well, you're all kind of discovering and figuring it out together. Some advice that was given in a in a recent sort of like writing advice podcast that I listened to was, um, "Don't be afraid to fail." Totally, you know, try it out. You you might make mistakes. You might you know run into some issues, but you you learn by making mistakes and figure that out. You may as well um, want to look at having things be slanted a little bit more towards uh, social and puzzle type interactions, although that kind of leaves out the cavalrymen a little bit in terms of what they can do. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. Is. That is a, that is a group that could be a little bit rough. There are also some shards previously published that are rather short meant for novice characters that are pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I've been running a group uh, once a week. I have a, a new player who's a nurse, and so I'm giving her downtime from all of her COVID duties. So I'm running mm-hmm. her and uh, another friend or two once a week. And parties only two or three on, on the best days, three people. But I'm running the shortest, lowest level shards that I possibly can, and I'm adjusting as necessary. So read one of those. They're available on fossilgames.com, and I'm not pumping in a product seriously. I'm trying to help you out as a game master. Find one of those, like Journey to Lang, uh, the Tomb of King Runevir. Those are pretty short and pretty light. And so you can kind of gauge mm-hmm. your party's capabilities off of that and kind of build up, okay, this is the type of thing that they liked, did not like. You can blame whoever wrote it instead of yourself. And then you can kind of learn from there just to go, okay, that was, they don't like this kind of, uh, you know, care delving. They want something more out in the open where he can run free and the wind can fly along. And so that might just be their wandering duo traveling the land of bar save. There's happened to be the next town the next day, like episodes of Kung Fu. You know, how'd you get there? Who cares? You're just in the next town the next day. Ta-da, there you are. And that's it. So maybe try that out as well, just as a, a little nudge. Just, I don't know. Yeah, and actually, another thing that if if you're gonna maybe be looking to like a, a episodic series kind of thing, like Kung Fu or something along those lines, yeah. is to have like you mentioned they they mentioned the um, the the orc weaponsmith NPC that they're going to bring along as sort of like a regular companion. Yeah. You could have depending on what's going on in the various adventures, have like guest stars, like other NPCs that show up to help just for that adventure. Um, and don't necessarily like stick around long term so that they can maybe help provide a little bit of support, um, for stuff and even not necessarily like rolling them out as a full blown participant in the combat. But if like a town hat that they're at has some guards, maybe have the guards go along with them to the encounter and the, like they can, there can be say r- rooting out a ghoul nest. Like you could have mm-hmm. that there are like eight ghouls, but you don't need to have the player characters fight all eight. You could have the guards or whatever tie up a few of them and mm-hmm. 
you know, kind of do that sort of thing. It's actually, if you look at um, Masks of Fear in the Quick Start Guide, um, yeah. there are a couple of the NPCs that the group is going along with at that point that are there at the final fight. The idea is that they go off and they're kind of doing their own thing, that they can, you know, one come in to help if the group, if the player characters get in over their head, Mm -hmm. or if things go really well for the player character group, they might get slightly overwhelmed and allow, like, give you another lever to kind of, or dial to tweak to kind of scale things in the middle of the encounter, you -hmm. know, rather than, like, rolling out all of the dice, just kind of have it be narratively going on to enhance the scene and and do that kind of thing. That's a possibility as well. Yeah, so err on the side of your players first. And then see what the balance is. But otherwise, Maddie, not a uh, silly question. No, at not all. not at all. That is a out. that is a new game masters, new players. That's what yeah, we're here for. It's a it's a it's a good question and a problem that, I, as an experienced game master, I kind of hear that and I go, <laughs> oh boy, that is a that is a poser. I would have to think about that a little bit. Yes, uh, but by all means, contact us again. Let us know how it goes, and if we can answer any more questions for you, we're happy to do so. Uh, next up, Aaron. Afternoon, guys. First off, he wants to thank us for pointing him in the direction of the Earth Dawn Guild to pick up a new online group. He's now joined up with the Circle of Dawn and have played a couple of sessions already. So he's apparently one of the Circle of Dawn cool. players. Yeah, we Aaron talked about them is. a week or two ago. Yeah. Uh, and while on the subject, thanks for the mention in the Thief episode. All credit to Steven for the effort he's put in so far. My question is about Obsidian Life Rocks mainly. First, should we be expecting an Obsidian episode soon? Yes. Episode 40. Episode 40. Because 35 is... Because if, if, if anyone has figured out the pattern, about every five episodes we cover a race. 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. So 35, because it's coming up soon, is going to be on Trolls, and 40 is Obsidian. Okay. So yes, it's coming soon. We it have is, it planned. It we have it's it planned, the, yes. It's, it's in the It's, it's in, in the, the works. Agenda. You'll just have to wait a few more weeks. Exactly. Secondly, is there a list of Life Rocks slash Brotherhoods anywhere? Omar, his character in the circle, is an Obsidian, and he has designed his background around the Obsidian of the Dilaris Mountains and have such a good relationship with the Rock Horn Moot. All information he has about this is from the Crystal Raiders' first edition book, but as far as he can see, there is no mention of the name of the Life Rocks or the Brotherhood other than it exists. Right. So, is there a list anywhere? I don't no, think there is. not that I'm aware of. There... I think that that is one of those things that in in previous editions was left kind of vague for people to to fill in those details as they wish. Um, even the life rocks that are mentioned, I think the only one that I can think of by name is Iodia, um, Omasu's mm-hmm. life rock that the Triumph landed on. Um, there might be a couple yeah. of others, like perhaps I know that in the Journey to Lang adventure that it was dealing with a corrupted life rock and it might have, might have a name that's mentioned, but for the most part, like the, I just ran that one. I can't recall. Yeah, I don't, I haven't looked I at it in a while, so, so I don't recall either. Um, it's okay. But it might not. I was on it literally three weeks yeah, ago, but it, no, it, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember it, one being. It might not. Um, I think that's one of those things that, that was left intentionally kind of vague so that GMs could fill in what they needed. And, mm-hmm. We haven't felt any need to expand upon that thus far, so no. Yeah, I I like the fact that it was left vague. It's one of those life rocks exist. The most of the mountain ranges are named, you know, attach a name to it and go mm-hmm. from there. So I I created an obsidian character many many years ago. I gave him a last name, which is the his uh, the name of his life rock. So in the Brotherhood, done the same thing. So I, his. Uh, 
I named it the Bitor, B-I-T-T-O-R, Life Rock, just because that was the name of that specific hill I called it. And that was it, because I wanted that name to match my character. So I like that it was left vague, because people who play Obsidian characters can just fill those mm-hmm. in. But that's me. So, Aaron, good question. He does say thanks for all the hard work we both put in. Josh, more than me, but yes. <laughs> you <laughs> we put get in work, um, Stop it. I've put in some work. You put in more work than I do. Otherwise, next up is another Matthew. Not Matty S, but Matthew has a second one. Hello, guys. I had a situation that came up last night. I had a new player make it to Scrang Nethermancer. One of the reasons he picked the race was the tail attack. He liked that he could cast a spell and still make an attack with his tail in the same round. When he was looking over the spells, he came across Spirit Grip. He was wondering about it since it is a touch spell. Could he cast it and then slap his opponent with his tail, doing both spell damage and unarmed attack damage? Think on that for a second, Josh. He thought about it and said, yes, how I handled it was to make an unarmed attack the ability to touch the target. If he misses the unarmed attack, the spell will not go off. If the unarmed attack was successful, then he would have to make a spell casting test as the target's mystic defense. He says this could become overbalancing, but his thought process was that he was using his unarmed skill and his spellcasting at a minus two steps. So he thinks it evens out. Also, if he was successful, it would be two different damage tests. So it would make it more prone to deal uh, wounds or knockdowns. Are we missing anything? Is he missing anything? No, that's mostly fine. I, you know, again, like looking at the options, the only quibble that I have with that is requiring the successful unarmed attack to then be able to cast the spell. Mm-hmm. The The intention behind touch range spells is only that you need to be within range that you could reach out and touch them, basically within melee range of the, yeah. of the target. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, there is not, that the spell casting test itself represents your ability to get close enough for the spell to take effect. And whether if it fails, whether that's because you didn't touch them well enough or it just simply failed the same way that other spell castings might fail, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So certainly it is possible for, I would allow, a, a Tuscrang spellcaster to both cast a spell and use tail attack, using the tail attack option, with the yep. minus two as indicated for taking advantage of that. Anything else. So yes, you yep. could cast the spell and if successful... And also try and hit with the tail, you know, and and deal damage with with either or both, depending on the results of the rolls. You know, the only thing that I would say is that requiring a separate attack roll in order to allow them to cast the spell is intentionally not something that's required for magicians because that then requires them to one there. I mean, there aren't that many touch range spells to begin with for enemies, Spirit Grip, I think, is one of the few. Few, yeah. Most of the touch range spells are really for allies, in which case it's not going to come into play. But the idea being that, you know, you would then require any magician who wants to have a touch range spell to also have a decent dexterity and or take unarmed combat in order to be able to touch someone. And that kind of gets around the trade-off against more martial melee types who typically will have a higher physical defense but a lower mm-hmm. mystic defense yep that the that the magician can then overcome because they're casting spells as opposed to trying to hit them um so like that's the only part of all of that that I would really have problems with i am not sure from his question whether the player wanted to try and cast the touch spell using his tail rather than like reaching out with his hand, but he was trying to hit him with the tail and cast the spell through the tail. 
as the touch, that would be a case where I would be less inclined to allow them to both cast the spell and do the the unarmed. But even in that case, it's I mean, at that point, like you're still allowing the the spell yeah. and the tail attack as two separate tests, each at a minus two. If you want to skin that or narratively present that as I'm mm-hmm. I am casting the spell through my tail. You know, how is that different from I hit him with my tail and reach out with my hand? You know, from from a you know, as long as you're handing the mechanics the same way, I, narratively, I don't think yeah. it, it makes a problem. Um, and so that if one is successful and the other isn't, yes. you either didn't get the spell off or didn't and hit them well enough to actually cause any damage. But I would not have the the ability to cast the spell be require them to successfully hit. Fair. As long as you're consistent from here on out the exact same way. Yeah. As long as you maintain the consistency, as Josh, to Josh's point over numerous episodes in the past, as long as you're consistent for anybody who wants to do that, then you should be fine. Because you'll have plenty of, of chances for other people to poke holes in that method. So to be clear, it would be a declaration of a tail attack in the same round that you're going to cast a spell. And then uh, everything is at a minus mm-hmm. two. So the casting spell is at a minus two spell casting. And the tail attack is at a minus two to uh, roll to hit. That's it. Okay. Right. I'm actually, I've got my book here right now real quickly. I want to double check something. Take your time. We can edit out uh, the dead Looking at combat options. <laughs> See specifically tail attack. Makes an additional... So, mm-hmm. technically, tail attack allows an additional attack in close combat. It is a minus two to all. Which one could argue would not allow spell casting because that is not a close combat attack. But for a touch spell, I would allow it. I was going to say the same thing. That was the only... It's... It seemed like... Only caveat I would add on to that. Technically, as written, it's not something that's intended. Yes. But I would still... Like, it applies the minus two penalty to all tests. You know... Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I, as you know, long as it's a touch spell only, I will allow it. Um, well, I could even potentially see where like you're casting a range spell at one target and tail attacking another, but at that point you're starting to get into the territory like you have with mm-hmm. multiple attacks and whatnot, and that starts to seem a little bit, a, a little bit hinky. So yeah, but yeah, I can definitely see yeah. people based on the wording of the rule making the argument that no, you can't make a spell, you can't cast mm-hmm. a spell and tail attack because you couldn't say, for example, cast a spell and use like second weapon or something along and those lines. Because spell mm-hmm. casting is not a close combat attack. That it is it's not against physical defense. But yeah, you know, I don't think it's that big a deal. Yeah. Like I said, but, but I would just put a limit on it. And my only limit yeah. would be touch spell, tail attack is the only combination I'll allow. Otherwise, it's one or the other, not both. But that's just me. Just for some game balance so that that person's not hogging, you know, all the combat dice rolls. But that's just me. So otherwise, um, he thanks us for the podcast. And Matthew, we thank you for listening. So let us know how that goes and if you find us off base. So other than that, it brings us to our last one of the day. Really. Yes. Uh, this is Kagorsi. Third or fourth email in. I'm not entirely sure. Probably the fourth. But it uh, is, of course – in character. So uh, allow me and, and indulge me if you possibly will. <laughs> Greetings, Dan and Josh. I speak to you today with a scribe at hand after a most glorious day. Getting to hear the show where you finally discuss orcs has made me the most proud orc in all of Barsafe. The feeling it brought was like that of the Gahad washing over you in battle, plus the added excitement of seeing a double rainbow. I must thank Dan for making my name a part of your language and spreading my legend far beyond the lands in which I inhabit. If I die in my old age now, at least I will be happy. 
I still am feeling strong in mind and body, so perhaps I will still be here when you discuss important topics like Carafod and the Legends of Swordmasters, which only use two-handed weapons. Keep up the good work. Uh, we will. Okay. Uh, I did feel I should be at a loss for words after listening to the show, but of course, I am not, because I am an orc. My questions this week are thus. Are you sure about those ten rules to being an orc? My tribe has made peace with our neighbors, and perhaps it is the human um, humans among us, but we like to bathe every once in a while. Bathing seems to increase your chances with the ladies of the other name-giver races. Do not tell the other orcs this secret, please. Most of the other stuff was agreeable, though. Will you discuss some cinnamon soon? Asked we already and answered. talked about that. Yep. Uh, we have never had one in the village... I've seen none. The few times I have been to larger cities and the discussions about poop has me intrigued. I notice I have up to this point been a little self-centered in what topics I have been interested in and obsidimans seem something I would like to know more about. I am certainly glad I do not frequent any establishment that would have a half-ton name giver leaving the kitties at the pool. No offense to the very large and very strong name givers, which may really, really, really have to go number two. Do the Muckers Guild members cry at the mere thought of it? Ha! In all seriousness, we are clueless about these things in my village. Do they eat rocks? Hold dyers? Trees? Why do they have men in their name if they aren't? And none of their other name-givers have men in them either, which seems notable. Do they grow beards? Any hair? I am sure I had more questions, but in my excitement, they have been forgotten. Keep up the great work, and I will speak to you again soon. Kogorsi. P.S. The scribe will talk with you later. He is tired, and much like if he were an orc, it is unwise to prod him when he would be like to be sleeping. <laughs> so we'll get to we'll get to the Obsidian stuff in the Obsidian episode. Those yes, are all great questions, <laughs> and we will endeavor to answer them when the time is right. I don't know if we'll cover the Muckers Guild at Obsidian at the time. I but uh, probably not. Probably not. Um, um, I can tell you right now, no hair, don't grow beards. There you are. Yeah, I'll give you two freebies right now. The 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 ten rules are in the essay that was granted to the Great Library, or that was provided to the Great Library for their. Name Givers of Barsave series. And I think I actually omitted two of them because they were on the next page, but still, the main eight but, are the fun ones. But but now that is not something because uh, none of the races, none of the Name Givers in Earthdawn are monocultures. Exactly. Um, it may be that it was just that the, the tribe and culture that that particular scribe was talking to had those rules. Mm -hmm. um, and that is not necessarily the case for orcs everywhere. So... Yes, we are, we are sure about those rules, but no, they do not necessarily apply to Unilaterally. everybody. <laughs> no, but they are fun. So they're just nice little role-playing things to throw in there if you can get them done that way. So anyway, thank you, everybody. Uh, by all means, uh, we did not actually give our, pod our email address out at the beginning of the podcast. So if you've made it this long and we haven't bored you to death and you want us to answer your question, edsgpodcast -E -E at gmail.com. There you go. In the sweet, we actually, voice. we actually, just before we started recording, had two more emails show up. We will push those off to another episode. Fair, um, but because we already had a bunch that we were doing for this one, so we will save those for another time. But we certainly appreciate the emails from everybody and the feedback, and it lets us know that people are listening and enjoying, and you know, what? above above and beyond the simple, you know, great job. number ticks that we see <laughs> on our website. Yeah, and we love hearing we're doing a great job. Thank you, everybody. We don't think we've had any complaints so far, but no, we're here to answer your questions. I, I love getting questions that are just outside the normal scope of things. Actually, we did get one sort of complaint. Uh-oh. It's about me, isn't it? Um, No, it's not, actually. <laughs> it was about it, – it's actually about me. It was basically wondering why I don't prep more. 
Josh doesn't need to prep. Why I am often like um, this was because this was at, they had listened to the previous episode where I was going on and basically off the top of my head talking mm-hmm. about the stuff with regards to group patterns. And he's like, why, you know, why don't you do more prep instead of always going well, as I recall, and to the best of my recollection and stuff like that? Because nine times out of ten, that is a when Josh is recalling, I'm sitting here with the book open in my hand and right. I'm following along going, nope, Josh got that right. Josh got that one wrong. And I can steer him just in case. But nine part, times out of ten, of that is, Josh is yeah. schooling me and I'm holding it is, the it book. It, it is a – I will say that it is a fair <laughs> question because I recognize that I largely come to this to – you know, without a lot of, of prep, certainly not scripted by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, as yep. anybody who has listened to one of my rambling 15-minute digressions about stuff will will attest. But I edit those down to 12. Part of it is I, I like, we kind of have a plan about the various topics we're going to cover. And if it's one that I am not as sure on, I will do a little bit of brushing up ahead of time. But part of it is just style. I, 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 prefer to have a, a, a more conversational, less polished style for the show. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's like, that's something that we're shooting for. And also prep is <laughs> prep is time that takes me away from working on other awesome earth on stuff. Um, yeah. If I have to spend in addition to just not only the recording, but the post-production, you know, if I have to then add pre-production for research and, and prep mm-hmm. work and whatnot, I am sure enough of most of my um off the top of my head recollections to to go and like dan said he has the books handy to correct me if i am wrong and it is why there are times where i have had to go back and say you know i said something that was uh ill-conceived that would that would no longer happen if i if i prepped i don't know people can we have stated corrections and again i I have I've got, had to go back and do my pre-production ahead of time just to keep up with Josh because again I'm sitting here with the book and he is schooling me on what I used to know about Earth Dawn because I I have said numerous times I have forgotten more than most people will learn that most people does not yeah. include Josh because he lives and breathes this literally every day working on all the Earth Dawn projects he doesn't need to do a lot of show prep I do <laughs> but he doesn't it so. depends on what we're talking about. Totally. We both have already said, when we talk about the geographical issue of the city of Kratos, we both need to go yeah. back and reread that book. Which is why we haven't it's done it It's been yet. a while. Exactly. We're going to talk about Trevar, not today, but soon. And I'm, you know, a third of the way through the new book, just because and I've gotten all the geography stuff down. I have notes on it. Whereas... But I know for a fact, Josh well, is going to school well, Whereas me, so. I edited the book. And so... There are yeah. many see, aspects see? of that that I will be able to recall <laughs> when you bring them up. But yes, I, I yes. you know, it's a it's a fair assessment. And basically, why don't I prep more? Because I don't want to. And you no. don't need to. Maybe, maybe. Most of the yeah, time. Most of the time. You don't need to. I, maybe I should a most little bit more. Anyway. It's okay. Well, today, the last topic we're going to talk about, because we've killed a half an hour or so, is circling up. Since we've given a lot of uh, GM advice in the last email section here, we have some player advice and what to do with your legend points when you finally get them and exactly where you can, should spend Mm -hmm. them. So this is the exactly how to get to the next circle in Earth Dawn when you get some legend points and a stack load of them. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff that you can spend legend points on. Exactly. First, 
So and most obvious are increasing your talent ranks because that is what mm -hmm. defines your discipline and what allows you to advance your circles in your discipline and it's what does find your circle get access to more talents and the cool abilities and stuff like that that we've talked about in the various yeah. uh, discussions and it's it's what defines your new circle having a certain number of talents at a certain rank is your new circle so that's kind of the the, the requirement you have to have there in previous editions were there both methods? Because I'm going back for anybody who's trying to convert from classic or first edition to now, fourth edition. I know the using all talents to advance option we've mentioned before casually mm -hmm. is that was similar standard. to well, it's it's more or less the a very, very similar progression to the original first and second edition and classic advancement scheme. Um, that is yes. the one that had where each discipline had like all of the talents were fixed and available for each discipline at particular circles. And yep. in order to advance, you needed to have a certain number at a certain rank with at least one of them being from a particular circle. Yeah. So usually like the last circle. You right. At. When third edition fully yeah, knew that knew that chart. Well, yeah. <laughs> when third edition fully implemented the talent options paradigm sort of that change in how disciplines worked in terms of what mm -hmm. was available to them the number of talents like the discipline talents that is the fixed talents that were available at each circle were assigned mm -hmm. as the ones to that needed to be advanced in order to progress through your circles uses the same number of talents and things that that previous editions did it just basically said okay these are the only ones that are going to advance. So, you know, in, in one sense, the new system allows a little bit more flexibility of your character customization because you have that optional talent at each circle that you can choose to help define or steer what style of that discipline you're going to be. Like, are you going to be for the sword master? Are you going to be more of a social type or are you going to be more of a, of a combat type, for example? Yeah. Um, among the many other options that we've talked about for the other disciplines. But because the talents that needed to be advanced in order to qualify for your new, your new circle were the same for all members of the discipline, there is also a certain amount of similarity that you're going to see across all of the adepts of a particular discipline. So all sword masters would have the same five talents from first circle at you know, whatever rank they are based on their, on their mm -hmm. circle. And they, and so, you know, that basically you're still going to see the same kind of core yeah. abilities from a discipline, just the, the, the X factor, the mm -hmm. customization is going to be in the little extra tricks and style that kind of go along with that. So those are the kind of the, the two advancement schemes. I, if I were to actually be running a long-term game, a long-term campaign myself right now, I probably would lean towards doing the all talents to advance option, um, just to give that extra little bit of uh, advancement flexibility for the players to really do what they want to do for their characters. Yeah, it's mostly what I have known being a character over the last 20 years is the all talents to advance option because I usually just get all of my talents to the same rank and then, oh, look, I'm a new circle. Ta-da! And then again, when I have to go up again and get more points, all talents to the same rank, 
ta-da, I'm another circle. So it just makes life easy. But in fourth edition, I think this is mathematically quicker. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. You know the math behind this. All your only your only uh, requirements are that the character must have raised his discipline talents to a minimum rank. Right. And you must train with a higher circle member of your discipline. In, you in one sense, the advancement is yeah. easier to to present in in the fourth edition talent option and, and third edition paradigm, because it's basically you need to advance these talents, your discipline talents, which yeah. are the ones that are fixed at each circle. You need to raise them to this point to advance. There's no longer the yes. added steps from the old style one of you need to have a certain number of talents because it's possible. Let's say that you've got under the old system a character who was going for who was fourth mm-hmm. circle and was going for fifth. They need to have eight talents at rank five in order to qualify for fifth circle. One of those must be a fourth circle talent. But what yeah. you could do was. Like, they didn't have to be five first, one second, one third, one fourth, the way that it is. You're correct. Look at the chart. Under, under the, the other system. It could be, uh, because of the talents that you had available and what you decided to put your points into, you could mm-hmm. have it be, like, both of your fourth, yeah. both of your third, both of your second, or three of your second, depending on your discipline. If you're looking at the old one where some disciplines had three talents at the second circle. But like, and then not any of your first. I mean, that would be weird because usually the talents you're getting at first yeah. circle are your bread and butter and you're likely to have them higher anyway. Mm-hmm. And you've already had to raise them to a certain point to get to previous circles. So typically you tend to see the same, like the talents that you are using being the ones that you yes. advance. But, it, you know, it's possible that as long as you meet this, this certain mm-hmm. number at this rank and one of them must be from this circle, you can like kind of shift around your focus and where you're putting your points as things go along. Totally. Under that system, I had people like, I really need to get very, very good at my unarmed combat or my armed or my melee weapons. And they put four or five or six ranks in those as soon as they could and left everything else alone. They didn't go up circles, but they were really great at second. Yeah. <laughs> second I mean, circle. you can, you can so, still do that now. There's nothing yeah. that prevents a character from doing that now. If, if you have, you know, the points if you have spend. the points available and, and you're not looking necessarily to, advance in circle as quickly as possible mm-hmm. you know you could definitely see like a spellcaster would want to maybe focus on spellcasting and thread weaving to get really really good yeah you and know the problem that, the, the thing that you sort of tend to run into is that you are spending is that because of the way the cost chart advances with its fibonacci series mm-hmm. where you know the the ranks get progressively more and more expensive as you advance yep the the number of legend points that you are earning go back to our discussion from last week are kind of incentivized kind of being a bit more balanced in terms of, of how you progress. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's you can spend your points wherever you want, but yeah. to get back to our original point as we kind of sidetracked here into a discussion of historical advancement methods. What? No! The, the first happens. thing that you <laughs> generally would be looking to spend your legend points on are increasing your talent ranks because those are your, those are your bread and butter. Yeah. So under fourth edition, technically, let's say they're someone's going to go from fourth circle to fifth circle, they've left every single option t- optional talent at rank one, because all they have to do is raise their discipline talents from four, from rank four to rank or they, five. Or they might not have even they could potentially even not have put any ranks into their optional talents at all. Exactly. So all if you have they to, want, to, yeah, all there's you, nothing that requires you to take those. No, just saying. I'm just giving an example. Let's say they picked up all their talents, but they left all their options at rank one because whatever. But every discipline talent is now rank four. They're going to put them all to rank five, spending the thousands of legend points that's going to cost. Ta-da, your fifth circle. You still have a bunch of talents at rank one, 
but you are officially fifth circle because all of your discipline talents are now rank five. Right. Okay. You have displayed you have displayed enough proficiency in the things that are important to your discipline that your trainer agrees to induct you into the higher mysteries of the journeyman tier. And there you go. So that's the major difference is you can leave a lot of things at rank one in fourth edition, as long as your discipline talents are the proper rank and the uh, right. classic version, for lack of a better term, the former, you version? could do, you could yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you could do the same thing again, as long as you, as long as you meet the requirements, yes. however you might meet them, yes. then you can, Advance. There you are. So that's the major thing. So really, when you've got all those legend points, uh, as to Josh's point, I always do my talents first as well, just because. Yeah, want to get a new circle because there's new stuff. No. <laughs> yeah, because it because it because it allows you to advance your circle. It gives you new stuff. It makes you better at the stuff that you're going to be doing most of the time anyway. And my durability is also easiest. Yes, and my durability to advance goes up. those because it's just yeah, your durability goes up when you advance the circle. Yeah. But it's easiest to advance your talents because you just need to spend the day hanging out meditating. Mm-hmm. You don't need to pay a trainer, you don't need to like do any kind of dedicated special work or anything like that. Yeah. Like you do if you were say trying to to advance a skill mm-hmm. where you need to get taught by somebody and then spend some time sort of you know, practicing and you, so you need to pay both the legend points to advance, but also spend a lot more time and coin and, and coin, Mm -hmm. um, or advancing attributes, which use a similar sort of thing where you need to, where there is some, some time constraint placed on them in order to advance. Yep. Um, and you know, paying for training and tutoring as applicable for those, you know, talents are the, the easiest and, most cost-effective most beneficial, way really. of just increasing your, your character's abilities. Yeah. So that's how to go up a circle, essentially. Where else should people be spending their legend points after they get them? And after you raise your talents up enough, you know, what do you have left over? You've got a couple hundred, maybe a thousand left over. You can raise your attributes. Yeah, you can You can raise attributes. And I think we've talked a little bit about breakpoints and attributes earlier. Yeah. You know, the you can only... You know, raise an attribute value up to three, and it's a little bit pricey, very relatively speaking, early on to do that. Yeah, eight eight hundred points yeah, initially. Eight hundred, thirteen hundred, and twenty one hundred are, are the the costs for each additional point. Yep. So if you take all three, that also raises up that attribute value by a step, which increases the die, yeah, which is no more. great if they if you have talents that are associated with it, um, mm-hmm. because. But sometimes it's, it's cost effective the, to spend those 800 rate. points. To but get that there are also, depending need, on the attribute places step, where and that just cascades you might get through a the defense rest of your bonus talents. or, you know, if you're increasing toughness or Mystic Armor bonus or if you're increasing your toughness, every point that you increase yes. gives you a little bit of additional death and unconsciousness rating. Um, and potentially, depending on where you are in the progression, might get an extra recovery test or a slightly higher wound threshold. So there are places yeah, that you can look at on the 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 table. And see, based on your initial, on your point distribution, where it might be most worthwhile for you to put some points initially. And this is something that you can maybe keep in the back of your mind when you're initially building your character, when you're putting the attribute values in and going, oh, I can't get this quite as high as I want. But if I go one point lower, I can get this where I want. And then I can put like my first attribute raise into this and actually get everything. Which I did. I did that when I built my, I'm playing a fourth edition scout. And I came up one point short on getting the next step on my dexterity. 
And to scouts, that's kind of important. So it's, I took my first important attribute. I took my first eight hundred points, put them in my dexterity, and all of my most of my talents just bumped up a whole another step. And that mm-hmm. is a lot cheaper to do with eight hundred points than it is to spend all of that on every talent I had. Right. So. Yeah. Um, that is <laughs> so, definitely so something to something to look at. Now, broadly speaking, you know, in terms of of cost effectiveness. Attribute values, especially if you're looking at needing to spend two or even all three of the raises for that attribute in order to get yeah. the step. Yeah. At that point, you're probably, you know, that's something that you have when you are in your, you know, when you're seventh or eighth circle or, or even higher and you're looking mm-hmm. at the individual cost of talent ranks being yeah. more than you would spend on the attribute raise increases and maybe at that point it, it would be worthwhile more cost effective from a legend point spending standpoint to yeah. put the points into there. Um, you know, if you are, if you're seventh circle and you're looking to buy rank eight in a talent that costs more than 3,400 points. Yeah. Yeah. It, that costs, <laughs> that costs more than two attribute raise points, even if there is some money and time consideration there that wouldn't be in place for, mm-hmm. for a talent. So, you know, again, yeah. like group patterns, like we talked about, you know, there there comes a point where the benefit that you can get from them in terms of the mechanical advantage um, yeah. becomes really cost effective at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Similar to how a second discipline in earlier editions, because of the way that the math worked on that, became really, really attractive at a certain point because yes. the cost that it was involved in terms of gaining that second discipline and advancing all of the talents that you didn't already have you could get a lot of new stuff up very, very quickly uh, mm-hmm. compared to the advancement that you would be seeing in your primary discipline. And so it became mathematically incentivized, even if narratively it, it wasn't something that was supposed to be particularly common. So we have talent increases, we've got attribute increases. Clearly, you can, of course, uh, up a skill. Skills, yeah. I mean, skills but are, are a you know, a little more costly because they take more time a a little bit more costly they they take a little bit more time they take a little bit more legend points comparatively but yes it can be nice to pick up some useful things even if you're only picking up two or three ranks in them Mm -hmm. to have them uh you know either things that might be option talent options for you but you for your discipline but you want to take something else for some reason yeah or picking up things that aren't in your discipline toolkit at all. Makeup. That would also be yeah. useful. Like, for example, with Virag, my Nethermancer, I took awareness as a talent, as a skill rather than picking up as a talent, even though it is a talent option for Nethermancers, because there was just other talents that I wanted more, basically. And I could spend the, the legend to get a couple of ranks yeah. in awareness. And my goal is not to be the scout or the person who notices stuff, but to just put a couple of points mm-hmm. in there to have, you know, right now, step eight, 2d6 for my perception so that, yeah. you know, I have a chance of noticing some things, but it's not something that I would be making my focus, which would not be the case if I were, say, a scout or a thief who, yes. you know, would definitely be looking no, or an I... archer who would definitely be looking to have awareness be a much more higher priority. Climbing. Totally. I, I made my fourth circle, or my fourth circle, my fourth edition scout, and I knew we were starting with a party of three people. So I knew for a fact I was going to need an advantage, and so I, I took avoid blow as my first option. circle option, but I took acrobatic defense as a as a, ta- skill? as a skill. 
And I'm like, I will put two ranks in that immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so I can you change know, those, my physical those defense. Because I knew I was in a party you know, of three. Not, we talked about this sort of when you were creating a character. Those novice tier skills, some of those can be can be handy to get those free points into early on. But it's something to look at in the future. It can be a, a handy yeah. you know, thing to have. I mean, other useful skills for any kind of wandering adventurer type to have. Climbing. Wound balance, I think, is available as a skill and can be worthwhile to have a couple of extra points into that swimming like any kind of like any kind of skills that would be handy to have a little bit in if you run into a situation where you are screwed if you don't yep. so so those sorts of things another good thing again when you get into higher circles and you get into you know journeyman Yes, wound balance is available as a novice skill. Um, when you get into when you get into journeyman tier and those talent ranks and stuff start being a little bit more expensive, picking up yes. a couple of ranks of skills, especially if you've got the downtime and and the money to to mm-hmm. handle it, is definitely yeah. something to to look into. Um, another thing you can spend your points on for magicians at least are spells because spells do cost legend points say. in fourth edition for reasons that yes. we have discussed elsewhere. We got time. <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, basically that the that the versatility that spells bring to the table that basically it, it just from a game balance standpoint, you know, makes we treat them like talent. Make, knacks. Yeah, treat them a little bit like talent knacks and and which we'll talk about talent knacks in a future episode. Yeah. But those that is something else that you can spend legend points on. It's talent knacks. Yeah. So we'll hold on to that one. But that's another thing to spend legend points on is actually taking a look at knacks because I think you can't even get knacks until you have a talent at a rank of three. And then you can start looking at knacks. There are a couple of spellcasting knacks available to magicians that become available, I think, at, at two. Maybe at one. Fair. I forget off the top of my head. It's okay. Uh, we'll prep for that show, actually. Yeah. We'll prep yeah. for the knacks we'll, we'll show. We'll look at that. <laughs> so, we'll prep for that one. Yeah. You know, and then at that point, so to get back to broader advancement, if, yeah. when you've got your talents, at a, the, the correct number of talents, your discipline talents at a certain rank, then you go out and you find a trainer. You of your discipline, they have to be a higher circle than you. Mm-hmm. You work out some kind of arrangement. Usually, you pay them money to train you, and you spend some time training. And once you are done, you are initiated into the new circle of the discipline, and you gain access to your new discipline talent and have a new option slot that you can fill. And there's more things that you can now spend legend points on. Something else that you can spend legend points on, we talked about this last week, threads in general, but like group pattern threads. If you want to uh, use or Mm -hmm. take advantage of a a threaded magical item, you need to spend legend points to weave those threads. Yes. Have we talked about thread items and and learning them and and using them? No. Yet? That's that's, that's slated. We will talk about that in the future. That's slated Um, soon. Myler, only the 33 episodes, I'm losing track of what we have (laughs) talked about. Again, Josh lives and breathes this more often than I do, but I I, keep, I try to keep him on track. We got a few minutes before we hit, hit the hour mark. I figure we can probably squeeze in about three minutes, maybe four minutes on legendary status. Oh, Since talking yes. talking about legend points and how to use them and how they sure. accumulate. This is your running odometer on your car. Yeah, so legendary so status. You, you really, generally speaking, you should be tracking two different values when you have your legend points, when you get an award. Yes. One is your total legend. That is how many legend mm-hmm. points you have earned over the course of your adventures from the beginning. And this is a number that just keeps going up and up and up and up and up and can sort of be equivalent to like experience point total. Total in, in mileage dun- on well, your car. Yeah. Or experience like experience <laughs> in D&D. Like it just keeps going up yes. and whatnot. 
Always. Where then you've also got the other aspect of that is your is your current legend, which is how many points you actually have available to spend to raise talents and things like that. That is more akin to games like the World of Darkness games or, you know, any other game where you earn experience that is then spent to advance your abilities. This is your trip meter on your tank of gas that you reset when you get into okay, tank of gas. Okay, we'll go with that. That's fine. <laughs> I've used that analogy for 25 years and nobody's ever been confused. I'm not confused by it. I'm not confused by it. I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't follow. Anyway, so you have these two values. And so the, your, your current legend basically determines what you are able to do in, in terms of raising talents and weaving threads and learning skills and all of that yeah. stuff. Your total legend points is roughly speaking a measure of your overall fame your overall notoriety, how likely it is for people to have heard of you, for stories of you to have been circulated elsewhere. And I love the use of the word renown. renown. Yeah, um, your your renown. And this is separate from whatever, a little bit separate from whatever reputation you might have for people that you have actually worked with and worked for in the course of your adventures or, or dealt with, because yes. they will actually know you as opposed to having heard stories. But when your legend points reach, your total legend points reach certain thresholds, you get mm -hmm. bonuses to interaction tests with people who have heard of you and something else that I am now forgetting. Rep. <laughs> I know there are two things that are on the chart and I'm trying to call it to mind. And I even got the PDF here, PDF up here, but I don't have it on the, the right page. I was going to say, because I remember the old chart used to be a legendary status. You only ever get to five. Right. And it used to be a limit of like 10,000, 25,000, like One million, 40, I think, was the, was the top level. I'm flipping the patient. Way, way up there. Uh, I, remember, I remember the first two were 10,000 and 25,000. And then I think the next one was like 100. It's on okay. Up. But it was, yeah, it's, way, it's way up there. Gotcha. Okay. New chart. Renown. You, you mentioned it and I forgot what it was. Renown is basically the difficulty number for people to roll a test against to see if they have heard of you. So if you utter the phrase, don't you know who I am? This, this is, is what, what they, they get, get to roll, roll on. on. So, so <laughs> you know, so I'm looking at the chart here now. It, if you have 10,000 or fewer legend points, your, your mm -hmm. renown difficulty is 16, which is... That's, That's kind of high. And you get no reputation bonus. And yeah. generally speaking, outside of the people that you have directly interacted with, nobody's heard of you. Once you break the 10,000 point mark, but less than 100,000, your renown difficulty goes down to 12. And But but, a but for anybody who has heard of you, you get a plus two bonus to, to any interaction Interact test that you them. make with them because of the reputation that you've earned and the fact that they have heard of you. Now, you yes. know... Odds are that it's only people in sort of the biggest cities that might have heard of you, places where the news would circulate through more more frequently. Mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, you can take advantage of that. Word of mouth spreads. Over 100,000 up to a million. Your renowned difficulty drops even further down to nine. You get a plus four bonus to interaction tests. Um, and at that point, your name is, is likely to be recognizable to most people, even if they might not know a lot of details. Yeah. But, oh, yes, I have heard of you. And then once you get more You're than once you get so more than so. a million, your renowned difficulty drops to a seven, which basically means everybody <laughs> has heard of you and has had heard stories true uh, or made up about you. Uh, and you get a yeah. plus six bonus to your reputation 
uh, to your reputation bonus to any of your any in your action tests. Um, you are at that point you are a living legend. Dread Pirate Roberts to to grab a pop culture reference exactly um, is is someone exactly. who has a a renown of seven. Only using that as a recognition of that is somebody that everybody has heard of. We're going to set aside the whole, yes. well, how does that work in Earthdawn, where it's actually different people that are the Dread Pirate Roberts, and how does that work? That is that is a completely separate yeah, we're issue. Gonna. We're not going to go there. But that's the, yes. that's the sort of thing, right? These are these are these celebrities. These are the name recognition, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the in that the tier right below that, that hundred to hundred thousand to a million range. That is you are a celebrity within a particular yeah. like subculture. Like people who follow Swordmasters, celebrity. like people who follow and know about Swordmasters yeah. will know the the slightly less famous Swordmasters. But but for example, the exactly. renowned scores, right? If you are meeting somebody of mm-hmm. your discipline, they could make a half magic test against that renown to see if they've heard of you. Because the, because yeah. part of the half That'll magic work. of all disciplines is to have knowledge and lore and information about other practitioners of their discipline. So that would be, you know, that would be one example. Yes. Um, so that, there's that sort of thing. Now, there is a downside that potentially comes with being famous, <laughs> and that is that people will seek you out. If you are famous, people will – and you show up in a town, and people have heard of you as a famous adept. They will want you to solve their problems, and yep. you may not want to, but you kind of need to because that's what they expect of you. <laughs> Well, keep your keep your appearances up because otherwise bad rumors will begin to spread and you'll need your uh, interaction bonus to correct those rumors right. when presented with them. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's there's kind of all of so, that, that that goes yeah. along that goes along with that. And adventuring so, groups kind of go along with any, that and these don't necessarily need to be a true pattern group like we discussed last week. This could be any kind of group that works mm-hmm. together and is known to travel together can collectively like the group would have a a gestalt renowned score that is kind of based on the, yeah. the legend point fame of the members of that group. Like the Redeemers of Sinoc. Like the Redeemers of Sinoc. As we brought up last week. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> and, and that you don't necessarily need to be a named true pattern group. You can still be a group. You know, and and gain fame for for being that. You know, at that point, you're looking at things like orc mercenary cavalries, or you know, other groups like that. You know, that that might be famous for their deeds as a as a unit or as a company, that kind of thing. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, the only thing we didn't actually cover was exactly how spells are purchased, which is, of course, you said legend points, but there was a really easy scale for that. It's whatever circle it is times a hundred in legend no. points for the new spell you want to learn. It costs. Silver that's pieces. The, yeah, that's the Sorry. money cost is 100 times the circle. That's the money the, cost. The legend cost Sorry. is equal to a novice tier talent of that rank. So if you're trying to learn a fifth circle spell, it costs whatever. It's 1,300 for rank five and a novice tier talent? Uh, I think it's 200 to start, yeah. Oh, eight. No, novice, sorry. One, one. Novice tier. Right. So it's 800. Yeah, novice tier talents are 100 well, a piece. Yeah, rank one is, well... And a fifth circle yeah, is rank yeah. one is one hundred, rank two is two, rank three is three, rank four is five, rank five is eight. Five. So a fifth circle yep. spell would cost eight hundred legend. A four circle spell would cost five hundred. Gotcha. A six circle spell would cost thirteen hundred. It's so but it, it's it's as if yes. you are buying just that rank of a novice tier talent. Which is similar cool. to the way that knacks are purchased, which is why the costs kind of are what they are. But yeah. Fair enough. We had some internet issues there, so I couldn't hear Josh and he couldn't hear me, so we were both confused. <laughs> That's why that sounded as weird as it did. Anyway, so we've covered exactly how and where and why you could spend your legend points 
in any way, shape or form to get your character better. Yes. There you go. So, folks, yeah, if you have any questions for us on anything we did not cover today that you want to hear about, or if you want to correct us on something we should have prepped for, that's fine, too. Um, you can email us at etsgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, any final thoughts on anything Yes, today, we didn't actually go over this at the top of the show. We have a new Kickstarter. All right. We, we, we buried we the lead. We teased it a little bit last week, <laughs> but we announced the new book, Empty Thrones, which is a campaign setting book along the lines of Prelude to War, which is going to have like basically had a, a the kickoff event of Ul being dead is sort of the inciting event for mm -hmm. the other story arcs that take place within that book. Kickstarter is yeah. going now as of this recording. It launched two days ago. It launched on Monday, June, June 29th. 29th. Yep. Um, this episode actually will be it will have been up for about a week. As of the yeah, time this episode goes yeah. live, about mm -hmm. a week and a half, it funded in less than an hour the initial goal. We are edging up close to the second stretch goal here, only three days in. But go get yours if you haven't already. But, but go get it. It'll be linked in the show notes on Kickstarter, Empty Thrones, um, and like the other Kickstarters, opportunities to get other books if you haven't gotten any um, stretch goals, blah, blah, blah. So yes, that is that is going on right now. Yeah. So if you can't find us on social media and Josh will go through that litany here in a second or so. And if you can't email us and if you haven't figured out the Kickstarter, you're not trying hard enough, but we'll be here for the duration. Uh, where can we, where can people find you, Josh? It's been a while since we mentioned. So, uh, we've got the Earth Dawn Survival Guide Twitter account at Earth Dawn G. We've got my own personal Twitter account at Metaxas, M-A-T-A-X-E-S. Uh, yes. there is the Earth Dawn Guild on Facebook, which I am in. Um, and we'll occasionally chime in, um, and, and ask comments and stuff, but there's a pretty decent group of folks over there. Um, we've got the, uh, FASA Games Discord. We've got the FASA Games FASA forums games at FASAGames.com, um, which also has the developers blog, which posts, has posts going up every week or so talking about stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, plenty of, of places and such. Yeah, if you can't find us, you're not trying. Otherwise, folks, it is time for you to go make your own legend. See you next Good night, everybody.